Yeah, let's give them a hand. Don't let these old guys slip anything by you. Rock and roll to how great the art, or how great the art to rock and roll. I love it. We do good music. I've been away for two weeks, and I have missed the worship time here. I've missed the chapels, but mostly I wanted to get up here, grab this mic for 30 or 60 seconds, and say warm greetings from Jesse Caldwell, from Rayanne Smith, from Naomi Como, from Janessa Penant, and from Peter Decker. Did I get them all? Mackenzie. Did I miss Mackenzie? Mackenzie Summers. Thank you. Good catch. I had a chance to go visit our Globe Trekkers in Kathmandu, Nepal. Can you imagine? And now they're off to India and then to other parts of the world. But they did miss you. They wanted to say thank you for your thoughts and prayers. And they send warm love and greetings to all of you. Now it happens that Lance and Madison are on their way to Nepal to spend the next six months there in that same setting. It's a beautiful place. I asked my good friend Nathan Rook if he would come and introduce our speakers this morning and then commit the next few minutes in prayer. Good morning. It's my privilege this morning to introduce to you some friends of mine, Kevin and Julie Garrett. Some of you may know them, but I just want to tell those of you who don't a little bit about them. Kevin and Julia met in Ontario while studying at the University of Toronto. In the one class that they had together, the only point of contact that they had was a class on communism. I find that ironic because after they got uh, dated and then got married, they would then spend the next 30 plus years in China ministering to the people of that nation. What they did when they went to China is they asked God to show them where they can engage. They spent, they spent their time in seven different cities, and over that time, they looked for existing community needs where they could engage and help the, the people fulfill those needs. They would work alongside the nationals, and as they did, that would be an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And while they did that, they also discipled and trained up young leaders who would then take over from them. Some of the work that they were involved in were starting orphanages and education centers. They had a translation center and ran a business in translation. And most recently, in Dangdong, they had a coffee shop called Peter's Coffee, Peter's Coffee House. Right. In 2014, their work in China suddenly came to a grinding halt. They were apprehended by the Chinese government and then spent the next 775 days in a black jail, which is a jail that doesn't officially exist, in a formal Chinese prison and under house arrest. When we had heard that they were unknowingly uh, mixed up in an international political power struggle, they were being used as pawns, we spent a lot of time praying for them. One of the senses that I had while praying for them was that while this was horrible, of all the people I knew working internationally as missionaries, Kevin and Julia would be the ones to make the most of this situation. And the reason I say that is because I had witnessed, first, the ability that they have to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. And second, I saw their track record of walking out in obedience to him. 
It's a real honor to have them here. And before they come, I just want to pray. Father, thank you for this great opportunity and privilege that we have this morning to hear from Kevin and Julia, your servants who have walked faithfully with you. We ask, Father, that you clear our minds, settle our hearts, help us to be in a posture to receive from you. And I pray, Father, that this morning, that in addition to the words that they share, that you would gift us with the, your Spirit's power so that the, our faith would not be built upon man's words, but on the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The Chinese government is accusing two Canadians of spying. Kevin and Julia Garrett are suspected of stealing state secrets and collecting national security and military information. Kevin Garrett and his wife Julia Don Garrett were under investigation by the State Security Bureau. However, their current whereabouts are unknown. 30 years, Kevin and Julia Don Garrett have made China their home, recently running a small cafe. They said my parents are being held at an undisclosed location somewhere in Bandung, and that they cannot reveal that location. This is some type of a political play. Um, it's not necessarily directly related to my parents. It just happens to have them involved. So their specific actions, I believe, are a little bit less important than sort of the political level stuff. It could be sort of a double win-win situation for uh, the Chinese. Because they are Christian, they are a certain irritant. Because they are foreigners in an isolated area. Kevin Garrett and his wife have been confined and harassed by Chinese security officials for over a year. Now Kevin is facing phony espionage charges. Her husband, Kevin, has been moved from residential surveillance to what an official calls the more serious status of criminal detention. They told me I'm being taken to prison. And at first, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, is this really happening? Am I really a criminal? God, is this really your plan? Is this really for good? And I, I just, it was unbelievable to me. And I was afraid. I was, I was truly afraid. After two and a half months like this, day after day, and just uh, holding on to the word, um, I just came to depend on the word of God in such a stronger deeper way. But we didn't lose the freedom to depend on God. A Canadian man has been released and sent home. Kevin Garrett was greeted by his wife after arriving in Vancouver. A Chinese court had ordered him deported on Monday. Their ordeal was long and tough, yet their dignity and strength never wavered. Kevin, welcome home. It has been 775 days of a horrendous ordeal that passed by in long, long minutes with unbelievable suffering, the loss of 30 years of our life's work in China, most of what we own, and many extra costs related to the case. The separation from children and family, and yet a testimony to the power of prayer, perseverance, and community. We stand here glad to be free, to be Canadian, and thank God for answering the prayers of many worldwide and for all the people who never gave up until we were home. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. There is always so much to be thankful for. When I was in that prison for 19 months, I saw that the only thing I had was hope. And I saw everyone around me was hopeless. And I felt more than ever, and more than ever now, we must proclaim the hope we have. We must 
There's so many people all around you, they don't look like it, they look like they're fine, but they don't have the hope of Jesus. You know, if God had taken me in that prison, it would have been fine. But he's, he's got a bigger plan, and I'm glad for that. Thank you. Good morning. We were here almost a year ago, I think, on the um, day of prayer. Yes, about a year ago. I think we shared a little bit of our story then, and you got a very, very brief glimpse from these highlights. Um, I just want to say, if you want to hear a bit more, come to Mount Olive. That's in Three Hills, not the other one. Um, um, I don't know where it is, but I know nothing's very far into Three Hills, right? So... <laughs> So I'm told, I don't know. Still looking for good coffee. Anyways, that's another story. But um, yeah, very glad to be here today. And um, you can hear more on Sunday. Uh, Sunday evening, actually, we're going to have kind of more of a Q&A and interactive. So come if you've got questions and uh, you want to know, what was that prison really like? Okay. And uh, if you want to read a lot more, then we have a book coming out, hopefully by the end of November. And we'll let you know when that comes out. But I would, this is not going to be a deep theological discussion or teaching, anything like that. It's, I just want to share with you a little bit of a journey. And we're all travelers, right? We're all traveling and moving along with Jesus. And I just want to share with you a few thoughts, uh, simple thoughts really from a simple follower of Christ. And we were asked to look at the acts of the Holy Spirit and when Christians go to prison. We have a little bit of experience that way, so it seemed appropriate. And first of all, I want to start off by just some assumptions, okay? So one would be that God carries out his plans on earth through us. That's, he does. That's just the way he works, right? Uh, and the Trinity is completely involved in what we do, if we let him. And uh, the person of God does that through us in many different ways. And he's got a master plan. We could call it the master's plan, right? And he wants just to work through us. So God is sovereign. I want you to understand that. We, we understand that, but I just want to state that. The Holy Spirit is a power at work in the lives of believers among us and among other things to make us, you know, more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit's work is very wide and far-ranging because God is very wide and far-ranging. He's actually involved in everything all the time, whether we see it or not. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is active in our lives as believers, even when we don't feel it or see him. Okay? And God speaks his word through us, through whispers, nudges, the Holy Spirit, through direct communication, through visions, through dreams, and sometimes through other people as well. So those are just the assumptions I'm making. I mean, I think we all would probably agree. Okay? And we're going to look briefly at Acts 16. We're not going to go in depth here, but it's Paul's second missionary journey, so Acts 16, a journey to encourage believers and really to plant churches and share the truth of Christ with people. So that's what Paul was doing. We're just going to briefly walk through the story and some thoughts I had from prison and some thoughts we have today. Okay? Um, so first of all, the Holy Spirit... God, Jesus, they're completely active all the time. Some examples, Acts 16.6, the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul and Silas, and they're forbidden to speak or preach in the province of Asia. Okay? 
So the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, no, you can't go there. You can't do that. Okay? It was probably a good idea, but God said no. Then, in verse uh, 7, it says the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go to Bithynia. We don't know why, but for some reason, God just said no. Later, of course, people would go there, and the gospel would be preached there. And then in verse 9, it says, God gave Paul a vision, which he knew meant they must go to Macedonia to preach. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus, and we have God. The Trinity is completely active in all of us, all the time, just as he was with Paul and Silas and his little, we call it his band of merry men, I guess, but he had other workers with him, right? They were probably merry, I think so. And um, when God speaks through visions, it's, it's not always. Once in a while, maybe we have a vision from God or something. Some people have more than others. I, was, I don't have many visions from God. But I was at a church last Sunday, and this woman from India came up to me and just said how God came to her in her room in India, and just he, just, he stood there and said, I want you to know who I am. And, it's just, and she, was, she, she stood out in the church. She's the only one who, during worship, would kneel and raise her hands. And she was obviously touched by God, obviously a worshiper of God. But she said, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up with all sorts of idols around me and things like that. But God just one day, through a vision, touched her, and she was changed. So God does do that. He does amazing things. But he also does amazing things in our daily life, just as we go about doing what we're asked to do. And I like this, that when they had this vision to go to Macedonia, to Philippi, and so in Acts 16, 13, we see, I'm going to read this. 13 says, on the Sabbath, this is Paul and Silas and his band of workers, disciples. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. We were expected to find a place of prayer. They were just going to church, right? They were just going, doing their normal thing. And... All of a sudden, expecting to find a place of prayer, expecting to find a church or a place to worship there, we sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. I don't know, did they always gather there? Maybe, we're not sure. But they gathered there. One of those listening is a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, what's the significance of purple cloth? All you Bible scholars know. It was really expensive, right? Only the wealthy wore it. It's interesting that he talks about this woman named Lydia, because, of course, we know later she accepts the Lord very quickly, it seems. But she was a, a businesswoman in the New Testament. Now, that's amazing, especially at the, t- the time of the New Testament. She was a, you know, it was unheard of in a male-dominated society that she would be a businesswoman. And later, her whole family comes to the Lord. But you understand, they were just... Paul and Silas and his men were just going about doing their normal thing and God had planned and purposed that Lydia and her people would be there so that they could share the gospel with them. It wasn't a big plan. They just went to pray. They should, you could say they just went to church and, but God placed someone in their path. Yeah. We don't see God at work every day. We don't always see those kinds of things. But John 5.17 says, my father is always at work. Those are just the facts. God is always working, whether we see him working, feel him working, or not. I would have to say, I didn't always see God working in prison, but he was. He was always working. 
Some days in prison were just very routine. If that can be, we can say prison is routine. But I did keep seeing God at work in different ways. And I'll share a little bit about that too. Thyatira, we were able to go there about four or five years ago. And um, that city today is now in present-day Turkey. It's a city with no church. But in Bible times, it was a thriving Christian community. We were actually able to take a tour of all the seven churches of Revelation. It was amazing to see and hear and read it there and see it. But then you look today, and there's nothing. Not even a known believer at the time when we were there. That's sad. There was the ruins of a church from, you know, 2,500 years ago, but there was nothing else. So Lydia, this dealer in purple cloth, you could say she was the Gucci dealer of her time, right? She was kind of like that. I think. I don't know. Expensive cloth. That's, that's what she got, okay? But, you know, when we make our plans, okay? we make our plans, I'm going to church, I'm going to a movie, I'm going to whatever. If we are listening to the Holy Spirit, and God doesn't say, don't go there, don't do that, then he will plan things along our way in our normal, everyday life. He will do that. These guys, again, they were just going to pray, and they met Lydia. So, Proverbs 16, uh, 69, the man of mine plans his way, but what? Come on, you know this. What is it? The, man, the mind of man plans the way, but the Lord directs his stuff. Aren't you guys Bible students? Come on. Okay. Just checking, all right? Okay. So God, the Holy Spirit, will direct us. We have to be willing. And he directs us because he's got a plan and he's got a purpose, and we have to be willing to follow through with that. And I want you to understand, nothing surprises God, right? He's not ever caught unaware. Ever, ever. In 1992, any of you born then? Mark, I know you were. Um, <laughs> some of you maybe weren't born then. 1992, we were living in southern China, a place called Hainan Island. And it's the most southern part of China. Well, now China claims a lot of other territory, but that's, that's another topic. <laughs> and uh, we had gone to this place because we went, we were living in Beijing at the time studying Chinese. And we said to the Education Bureau, the people we knew there, where's a needy place in China we can go? And they said, Hainan. We said, okay, we'll go there. And um, Hainan, previously in China, was a place of exile. Okay? It was kind of like the Siberia to, of Russia, Hainan was to China. So they had a saying there that we learned, Shanggao Huangdiyuan, means uh, the mountains are high, the emperor is far away, we do what we want, <laughs> okay? And so, and that became true. We learned that was true in China, in that place. So we went there. We had an agreement with the university. We started teaching there. We are going to set up an English language training center. We had all these plans. And we thought they were good plans because we knew by teaching English, we can reach people just through our, our lives with them. So... Things are going along. We were teaching at the university. The training center was just not getting off the ground. And we're kind of like, what's going on? It, was just, it didn't seem to be working for some reason. I don't know why. So one day, we went to see the president. And um, we you know, explained a, a little bit of our frustration and tried to, like, let's move this thing along. Let's get going. And a um, short time later, he said, well, I'd like a trip to Canada. He wanted a bribe. Okay? 
So we, short time later, shortly said, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Right after that, he said, get out. He kicked us out of the college. He said, no more. We had two young children, and it's like, we were planning on this. Like, we had been working on this for a long time, and all of a sudden, he kicks us out. And um, our mission director happened to be there that day it happened. And he said, you know, God's not caught unaware. God fully knows that. And that was really comforting to us for him to say that. I mean, you know that, but when something hits you hard and it disappoints you hugely, it's like to hear someone say that was a reminder, oh yeah, God is in control. So anyways, because we got kicked out of that school, God did so many amazing other things. You know, we were, of course, disappointed and things like that. But God opened a door for us to start a kindergarten and became the number one in the province. We, it's that place that we started working with an orphanage is actually where our youngest daughter was adopted from. We started, as Nathan said, a translation company. We started working with house churches and government churches there. But this is all because God kicked us out of that school. And I just always see when God does something, he does it for a greater purpose. He might take us there for one reason, but he has a much bigger purpose and other reason for, to do things. And even in our disappointment, God is at work. And, you know, Romans 12, 2 says, we are to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if we could just remember that, that his will is good, that it's pleasing, and it's perfect, I think we can rest in what happens before us. Now, we just looked briefly at Lydia. We heard about how she was saved. I want to go on just briefly here. And remember, the Holy Spirit's always guiding, right? He guides to good things. He guides to other things, too. And we have to remember, he's fully aware of what's happening. He's fully aware of what's going to happen. We forget that part. We think, God, you'd, how could you do that? Well, because he has a greater purpose. Acts 16 16 says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a, a female slave. Now, this is interesting. Who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So Paul and the rest of us, pardon me, she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became annoyed. I really like that part. Paul became annoyed. <laughs> Ever get annoyed? I get annoyed. Sometimes more easily than I'd like. And I think maybe that's for all of us. And this happened in prison. I got annoyed. Why wouldn't you get annoyed in prison, right? But um, so I'd been in prison about um, a month or two, I guess. And in prison, it's just a wooden board bed. That's what you slept on. And we had this very thin cotton pad that did almost next to nothing. And so I found out one day we could buy extra cotton padding so it could make it almost comfortable. So I spent $40, and everything you have to buy in prison, including food, but that's another story. And so I bought this, and I, I laid down on it, you know, and I thought, oh, now this is almost comfortable. Like I could, well, not quite get used to it, but I could, you know, I could live with that. So I'm very happy. And um, most people didn't buy the extra because it's just, it's a lot of money. It's 190 yuan which is $40, which is a lot for in China, especially in prison. And uh, a few weeks later, they make a new rule. They say, 
No more extra padding on the beds. And I'm thinking, I was extremely annoyed because I, I was just starting to have a good night's sleep almost. And then take it away. And I said to my cell leader, so are they going to reimburse me for that? Well, you don't ask those things in prison, I learned, okay? But Paul got annoyed. We all get annoyed. But he turned, what did he say? He turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And we know what happened, right? She was reverted back to her, herself. The Spirit was gone. The evil Spirit was kicked out of her. And, yeah, that's amazing that she was healed. And, by the way, you know, God hasn't changed. You know, the Holy Spirit is still the same. The Holy Spirit still works the same today. When there's a situation like that, God will still do the same thing. Because we may have changed. God has not changed. Okay? And all of a sudden, we know what happens, right? The owners get just a little upset. Oh, no, we've lost our income. We have, we're, how are we going to make money from this slave girl? Well, it's not a good thing to have slaves anyways. So what do they do? It says, when the owners realized, this is verse 19, that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs all lawful for us Romans to accept. Well, that wasn't true, right? Completely false accusations. They weren't advocating practices unknown to Romans. They were just saying, told the evil spirit, get out. But it's interesting. When we step into Satan's territory and we pray and an evil spirit is kicked out, people, actually Satan, gets upset. Okay? He likes to do things. So it's taken out on us. And so for them, what happens? Okay? These false accu accusations out of jealousy, out of loss of income, and all they were doing was actually setting someone free. They were doing what God asked them to do. The crowd joins in the attack, and then they up, end up going to prison. But first, what happens? It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they'd been severely flogged. Anybody been flogged? Good. Pretty painful whipped with barbs on the, the whip so that your skin is torn. So he'd, they'd be bleeding in incredible, incredible amount of pain because they were doing good. And they were falsely accused. Very, very harsh punishment. But again, God's not caught unaware because he has a plan and he has a purpose in all of this. And it's, it's greater than we can think. So they're thrown to prison, no medical care. Verse 23, throw into prison the jailer's commanded to guard them carefully when he received these orders. Put them in the inner cell and fasten their feet in the stocks. Incredibly harsh punishment for someone who's innocent. Okay? Paul and Silas were, Silas were innocents. They didn't do anything wrong. They just obeyed God. But what happens is when we obey God, sometimes it's going to cause some problems to people, mostly for us. Right? It's going to cause problems because Satan and people who don't know Jesus don't like it. And so, when we live that way, we will have some trouble. Those are just the facts. 
2 Timothy 3.12, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They were just trying to live for God. They were just trying to listen and follow the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God will lead us into those things. Sometimes God will lead us into things that are painful, like he led us into something that was painful. But he did it for a greater purpose. And we know what happened, okay? And it's always a choice of how we respond to what goes on around us. We have the ability to choose. In pleasure or pain, we have the ability to choose how we respond. How did Paul and Silas respond? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. In their pain, when they're bleeding and broken, they decide to worship God. Amazing. Could we do that? But they set an example for us. In everything, give thanks. Okay? Even in the pain. And we had to do that in prison as well. And we did. During the first six months, we... We, I started singing and worshiping every morning at a set time and every evening at a set time. Also, um, the, guards, the guards mostly ignored me about that, but I had one guard who was really interested. He didn't like it. So I'd be kind of pacing back and forth, kind of singing to myself or just maybe speaking in tongues. And the, the one guard, he says, are you doing that thing again? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah. And he would make fun of me. And so I just sort of ignored it until one day, he, um, he came in with this serious back problem. He, he was obviously in very serious pain. And I said, oh, can I pray for you? And he had wanted nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with God. And he said, no. It's, it's too bad, really, because for the next month, he was in serious, serious pain because he just didn't want anything to do with Jesus. But when we do pray. When we do sing like that, things tend to happen. Now, we know what happened next, right? Little earthquake happened. What happens when earthquakes come? Well, buildings fall down, things like that. Well, in this case, God was very specific. Verse 26, suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The building did not collapse, just the doors came open and the chains flew off. Why? Because God had a greater purpose, and he's very intentional in what he does. And we know the, the end of the story, that the jailer and his whole household became Christians. And I think if we asked, could have asked Paul and Silas at that point, was it worth it? Is it worth it to go through that public shame and that beating and that being whipped and being thrown in prison? Is it worth it because the jailer and his whole family came to Christ? I think the answer would be yes. When people ask us, no one's really asked us, if is it worth it? But when I start looking and seeing what God has done during and since we were in prison, I just see God had a bigger plan, a greater plan than we could ever dream of. And I can't say I always were like, yes, God, I really like this. <laughs> I was never quite like that always. But I, there were times, yes, I said, God, I choose to join you in what you're doing. I choose to join you in this. I don't like it. It's painful. It hurts. But I choose to join you in it. And I just want to read you a couple of things in closing. And I wrote this, these in my Bible, and my prison Bible, which is a whole other story of how I got that back because they didn't give it to me when I was deported two years ago. But um, 
Anyways, that's for another day. But amazingly, I got my Bible back. And in, on these, this chapter, chapter 16, I wrote these words. And I made notes here. I said about praise. I said, praise leads to earthquakes. It does, okay? Maybe not always literally, but it does lead to earthquakes. Okay? Verse 26, praise saves lives. Okay? No one was killed in that earthquake. It might cause earthquakes, but it saves lives. Okay? Verse 26 again, praise breaks chains and opens doors. Verse 31, praise brings salvation. The jailer and his household were saved. Verse 34, praise brings healing to wounds. The jailer took care of their wounds. In verse 35, praise brings release because we know the next morning the magistrates came and said, get out of jail. But I just want to leave you with those couple of thoughts. That God guides in the good and the bad. He guides in the hard and the easy, in the pleasant and the unpleasant, the painful and the pleasurable. He guides. And if we will just acknowledge that and say, God, I choose. I choose to let you. I choose to let you work through me in this pain, in this suffering. And when we choose, as Paul and Silas did, there's amazing things. Because God's purpose is always, always that people be saved. Okay? And sometimes he leads us through church to someone like Lydia and their whole family is saved. Sometimes he leads us through incredibly, incredibly difficult circumstances so that some would be saved. You know, Joseph said it, I think, very clearly. You know, when he's talking to his brothers, he says, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. And what was the rest of that verse says? For the saving, for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph went through all of that so that a nation could be saved. And we go through things so that others can be saved. And we just get a chance to choose to join God or not. Julia's going to come up right now. Well, I want to tell you one last thing. I have to... You can come up, Joe. Pardon me? No time. Uh-oh. I spoke too long. She might come up. I just want to say, you know, Paul and, si Paul and Silas were in prison to save lives. We, God put us in prison to save lives as well. And it wasn't fun. It wasn't punishment. It wasn't to harm us. Sometimes it was actually kind of funny. And I have to tell you one quick story. Because there was... Sorry. <laughs> I had it in my notes. I have to say it. Um... There are some funny things that happened in prison, some actually unbelievable things. So one guy, one day this guy comes into prison, and he's, he's built like a sumo wrestler. Like he's, he's the biggest Chinese I've ever seen. And um, he says to me, you know, I can do the splits. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, you can't. <laughs> There's no way. And he's big. And all of a sudden, he gets down, he does the splits. So it's like, how did you do that? <laughs> and... Anyways, there were funny moments in prison, <laughs> but there, there are some good moments too. Sorry. Great segue, because <laughs> I can't do the splits. Just I'll just end with one story, because the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding through the big things and the small things uh, is one of the most valuable treasures we have. And I really encourage you to treat it as a treasure. If you heard what Kevin was just sharing from that passage, there was warning, 
There was protection. There was direction. <laughs> there were all these things. And there was also very much intimacy. And that intimacy is reflected in the hymn singing and the praising and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit and his working. And that is so beautiful that God has given us that. And the door closed for us to go to China and North Korea for now. And I just wanted to say, we were sitting, we live in New West right now. We're quite global still and are very involved starting in Myanmar. We've got an opportunity to go to a very closed area of India coming up in a month or so. Um, God's opening incredible doors out of this prison experience. But we were sitting on our couch and a good friend of ours who's worked with us in North Korea for years, he uh, went back in recently and he just came out and he was in China and he called us and he said, you know, they, they said to you, um, they said that they really miss you there. How, how could that be? You know, and how Kevin got his Bible back is the same kind of miracle. The local people could not keep that book when they knew how precious it was to Kevin. And on that phone call, our son was sitting beside us. He's 26. He was sitting beside us on the couch, and he was eager because he's trained his whole life to, uh, the trajectory was to go and help us and then to carry on the work in China and, and in North Korea. And he loves those nations. He's sitting on the couch, and the man says on the phone, this friend of ours, he said, they just said, who's going to continue the projects that bear your name? They bear Jesus' name. And my son was sitting there, and he said, I'll go in. And so next month, they said we need somebody with the Garrett name because the name was actually on the official contracts and MOUs and things. He, the Holy Spirit spoke to him at that moment, and he's a slow decision maker. He's not one of those quick decision like an instant. And the Holy Spirit said, you go. That's how God wants us to be. He wants us to listen, to tune into the Holy Spirit, to go where the Holy Spirit is leading us, to stop when the Holy Spirit says stop. And so spend some time. I know you've got exams coming up. It's a really busy season. But spend some time. And when I was going through all the years, I often, I told our kids, collect treasures that are small. And I myself just always picked up stones. And... Uh, I just even encourage you to take something simple like a stone because a stone may, may be a burden. <laughs> it can be a massive rock on our, on our back. But a stone in God's eyes is a living stone. And he sees a stone not in gray and brown and beige. He sees it in purples and yellows and sparkles. And he sees it in a supernatural way. He sees what you see in a completely different way. And with the Holy Spirit, he sees your story as an incredible hope story. And I want you to, if you take a little stone and go paint it the color you love or wrap it in your favorite tissue paper or do something and just say, this is what God sees the stone of my life as. He sees it as a supernatural hope story, but I need to go with the Holy Spirit. I need to listen. I need the little whispers and the nudges, and I need the practice in walking it out while I'm still young so that when you're as old as me, you'll have had some experience and find him to be fully faithful, fully trustworthy in everything. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity just to be together, to talk about these things that are so precious to us, and that is what you've gifted to us. First of all, your son, that you sent your own son to save us. And then you sent your Holy Spirit to live in us and give us all that the kingdom has up there to live our lives down here. And I just pray that you would bless each student here with that, with that wisdom and knowledge and spiritual insight to let the Holy Spirit really be the director of the show, be the director of their lives, but not just bossy. I thank you that you're so intimate. And I pray for intimate moments, even as the students are preparing for exams and writing papers, that there will be not just direction, not just warnings, but there would be intimacy. And thank you, God, that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you interact with every human that you create. In Jesus' name, amen.